one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Today on Truth and Movies, one of the final films from legendary actor Harry Dean Stanton. The heartfelt drama Lucky. It was the saddest moment in my whole life. And then The Hunters Evolved, or has it? It's Shane Black's sci-fi action throwback, The Predator. Tell me about the mission. Did you see anything unusual? And for Film Club, Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer star in Shane Black's first directorial effort, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Well, what I'm doing for the guy who likes to bluff is I'm playing a little game called Am I Bluffing? Huh? Stick around. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, it's Truth and Movies, the podcast that reviews the week's new releases for those of you who ain't got time to read. I'm Michael Leader, and this week I'm joined by Little White Lies Grand Fromage, David Jenkins. Hey there. And Little White Lies contributor, Matt Thrift. Hi. Welcome, guys. How are we feeling today? Good. Good. It's bright and cold, which I, which is a combo <laughs> that I... Uh, like actually that's a good combo but yeah. the important question is are we feeling lucky that's the oh, first yeah. film of the week <laughs> harry dean stanton starring do in we lucky. get lucky well we'll have to see <laughs> won't we let's uh kick on So Harry Dean Stanton starts in Lucky, something of a character sketch of a 90-year-old man smoking and drinking his way through his old age, following him on his spiritual journey in rural California. The film is directed by actor-turned-director John Carroll Lynch and was co-written by Logan Sparks, who was Harry Dean Stanton's long-term assistant and friend. Here's a clip. When I was a kid living in Kentucky, I had this BB gun that didn't shoot straight. So I was out one day shooting at things, trees, leaves. And there was a mockingbird up in a tree singing its heart out. And I aimed my gun just to scare him away, pulled the trigger, and the singing stopped. It was the saddest moment in my whole life. Harry Dean Stanton there. Lucky's getting um, its release over here almost a year to the day that he passed away in September mm. 2017. David, is this a fitting tribute for the long-term character actor? I think so. I think so. I mean, I've I got to say, I, I approached the film with a sort of element of trepidation. I think it was at Sundance, like, about a year and a half ago, mm. where, where it got its world premiere, and... It looked to me from the outset a, a little bit quaint. It looked like a kind of very sunny American indie film of a cert, very certain type. And um, it was like, oh, it feels like some young, this is some young director who's got their hands on Harry Dean Stanton because mm-hmm. they love Repo Man or something mm-hmm. and have just sort of have him wandering around and don't really understand him. But actually I was completely 
the reality is not that at all. Mm. John Carroll Lynch is someone who's worked with Harry Dean Stanton before on screen, and there's this real kind of empathy and understanding about what you have with him mm. as an actor. And the film itself is this very kind of rootsy, low-slung, quite sort of poetic, a bit like kind of Raymond Carver, these very sort of little sort of evanescent stories of like everyday life, uh, just following this guy around his daily routine. He's he's ornery and he's uh, he sort of shouts at people, but then he has these little stories. You know, when you kind of eventually break him down, he has these little stories that he tells, mm-hmm. like in the, in the clip there. It's a really lovely performance. I think it could maybe feel slight to some people because Mm -hmm. it is just so focused on character Mm -hmm. and so focused on a guy maybe sort of contemplating his his existence. Mm -hmm. But um, it it, it doesn't sort of force that in your face. It it does it in a very kind of like relaxed and uh, and, and charming way, I'd say. It's him just wandering around. He goes to the bar. He'll go to the the convenience store and Mm -hmm. have a chat to people. He goes to a a fiesta. Mm -hmm. It feels feels very autobiographical in that sense. One of the things I remember reading about Harry Dean Stanton is, actually it was a friend of mine told me that he was in LA. I think he was was at a party for, it was like Dazed and Confused were having a party in LA and this was in the 90s. And he turned around and Harry Dean Stanton was just, had just sort of walked into it. And he was just chatting with these young kids who I'm not sure they even knew who he was, but he mm. was this old guy and he was just standing there with a drink and a cigarette. And it's like that thing that you hear that Bill Murray does. You know how mm. Bill Murray just like... Turns up. Yeah, at, turns up at parties. Yeah. Apparently, it, was, it feels like there's something very unselfconscious about it. He just wanted to go and meet people and enjoy talking to people and wanted to have a good time mm. rather than like... I think the Bill Murray thing does feel like a kind of building his own personal mythos. So this film feels like, you know, feels very honest. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where Logan Sparks, the co-writer, comes in, mm. isn't it? He you know, knew Harry Dean Stanton. He's quite a relatively young guy, mm-hmm. but worked with Harry Dean Stanton for a decade or so. And I'd recommend reading Q&As or interviews with him because he's full of stories and mm-hmm. all of that. <clears throat> that intimacy with, with Harry Dean Stanton, the actor, that went into creating this this fictional film that, for me, is great at depicting later old age. He's 90, so he is just a creature of routine and habit and just goes about his daily existence, but then can still have this uh, profound uh, change in his spiritual worldview. Matt, was this slight or profound for you? Well, I mean, I think that kind of slightness is pretty deceptive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, David mentioned Raymond Carver, and I think mm-hmm. I think this really does have the sort of the kind of structure and control of a really good short story. Mm. In, and I think there's a lot more going on. I think John Carroll Lynch is doing a lot more than perhaps immediately meets the eye. And I think to go through these everyday small moments and to string them all together and have it sort of feel like more than the sum of its parts by the end of it is, is I think, kind of testament to to his skill as a director. And and I think he really avoids, uh, you know, one of the traps I often find with when you watch a, you know, an actor turned mm. director's film. And this, I don't know really how to say it. I mean, it, it, it has the, the sort of monologuing moments. It has the sort of actory showcase bits. Harry Dean Stanton singing a song at a, mm-hmm. at a fiesta, which is just beautiful. But they're really controlled and they're really understated and they really feel kind of earned it's quite unsentimental film. Yeah. It's a film that, that looks from every angle like it's going to be this kind of sentimental homage, but it never really does that. And I think he does something quite, almost quite brilliant with David Lynch, who 
plays a character in the film, a friend of, mm-hmm. well, a kind of barfly mate of Harry Dean Stanton's, where it starts off with him doing the sort of lynchy weirdness that you perhaps were expecting, but then kind of doubles down on it and undercuts it entirely, where, you know, you start off by perhaps laughing at this man who's sad that his, his turtle, has, his tortoise, excuse me, has, uh, has run away from him. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes a really kind of quite moving little scene about loss and acceptance that's kind of sums up really what the the whole film's about as well and yeah quite moving I it thought. It was so good to see David Lynch acting in a film or that wasn't his own piece of work mm. really and, and that, that is testament to how the relationship between Harry Dean Stanton and David Lynch they've worked in you know, many films mm-hmm. together. I do find it interesting that uh, John Carroll Lynch directs this no relation to David Lynch yeah um, and of course John Carroll Lynch as an actor he's such a familiar presence he's in he's the husband in Fargo for example and he's been in so many other Zodiac films. Zodiac killer. Yeah. He, he, yeah or was he? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how was David Lynch for you David? Oh, yes, delightful. I mean, his beautiful uh, cream suit and hat. Yeah, yeah. Um, his tortoise, President Truman. Roosevelt. Um, is it, oh, President Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong president. Um, <laughs> he was great, but I don't necessarily feel that, like, I would sort of single him out as, like, the, the best thing in the film. And that is to say that I think all the small parts in the film mm-hmm. are really nicely cast. Mm. And even some characters who are on the screen for, like, two or three minutes... It feels like they get you know a lot of value, a lot of character shading, mm-hmm. all the other kind of barfly characters as well. It's if it, it does feel like a kind of cheers at the end of the night kind of vibe, you know. Mm. <laughs> well, there's Tom Skerritt it has a quite a small role as well, almost unrecognisable because I can't remember mm. the last time I saw him in a film. But reuniting with Harry Dean Stanton after Alien, or after all these years, you know, forty years on. Yeah, they have a lovely little kind of scene in the cafe talking mm-hmm. about they're both war veterans from mm-hmm. Second World War, yeah. so they have some war stories to share, and you know they sort of have this mutual respect for each other, which kind of comes over. But again, it's not really, it's never a sort of feels sort of jingoistic or anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know Harry Dean Stanton's character, Lucky, is very honest about his feelings about the war, and it's not necessarily triumphalist or positive and mm-hmm. uh, or nostalgic even so do you think this film would play to people who don't already have a relationship with Harry Dean Stanton through his films throughout the years i mean there are certain certainly films of this kind which really do play on the sort of celebrity nature or the your perceptions of that particular actor or celebrity but i think this is much more kind of honest than that and of course it does play into and it's impossible to separate seeing this last year you know when he just died it's impossible to kind of pull those things apart Mm -hmm. but I think absolutely it's not played with any kind of irony you know the David Lynch character you kind of think oh here we go wink wink nudge nudge Mm -hmm. but then the the great thing about it is that it does transcend that very quickly Mm -hmm. and he he actually is playing it with a a very straight bat in the end and uh and it, and you know, it actually makes the film feel all the more kind of powerful. Where would we say this would sit for Harry Dean Stanton's canon? Is this a fitting send-off for him as, a, as an actor, as a as a figure? Let's. See. I mean, you're just looking at his IMDb the other day. I mean, you, it, there's over 200 credits there, and yet I was kind of struggling to think of more than a handful of leading roles that he's played. I, I mean, his. I guess. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. But I mean, I guess the most substantial one before this was Paris, Texas, mm-hmm. and that's what. 35 years ago or yeah. something, 30-odd years ago. So it's a fitting send-off to have him at the yes. centre of a film, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah. it's a rare bird to mm-hmm. see Harry at the, in, the, in the middle mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, I think it's a really lovely little sort of send-off. This it seems like a great opportunity to pick our 
favourite Harry Dean performance, if there is one. Anything that comes to mind, Matt? Would be Paris, Texas, for example. Yeah, I mean, that monologue scene in, in Paris, Texas is one for the ages, but, I mean, God, Repo Man as Repo well. Repo Man would be the one yeah. for me. Dave. I think he's good in Alien. I mean, he's got it's a small role in Alien, but he's he, he's just... I like the idea that Harry Dean Stanton is somehow in space. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, I think his death is the best death scene, in, mm. apart from maybe... John Hurt, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> but that's obviously like on a on a slightly different level mm-hmm. to things. But I always remember in really enjoying his death scene. So, <laughs> so should we give Lucky some scores? David, would you like to go first? So yeah. this is in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect. So I love Harry Dean, but I was a bit, you know, looking at the kind of glossy yellow poster for the film. I was thinking, oh god, it's like an American indie sentimental thing, and uh, so I'd maybe go for like two or three. Mm-hmm. Let's say two. No, no, three, because I love Harry Dean Stanton. And then, yeah, four and four for enjoyment in retrospect. It was just, you know, lovely, you know, just caught me off guard. Mm. Matt? Yeah, I think pretty much the same. I mean, it certainly had a sort of whiff of Sundance tweeness or slightness about it going in, but it completely disarmed me Mm. really quickly. And, yeah, I think fours. Fours all the way. And I'd like to see John Carroll Lynch's next movie as well. right. So that was Lucky on release this week. We mentioned Alien there, and up next, we're going to talk about one of Alien's greatest enemies, the Predator, after this short break. Do you know what my job description is? I'm in acquisitions. I look up, and I catch what falls out of the sky. Tell me about the mission. Did you see anything unusual? It's above our big ring. Do I get a cookie now? <laughs> Look, I get it. Something went down in Mexico. Nobody wants any witnesses. We need to know if you and your man pose a threat. We're rangers. Yes, so that's the trailer for The Predator. A sequel slash reboot revamp Mm. from Shane Black. Matt, was this a necessary sequel and does it make a case for itself? Uh, I mean, so Shane Black obviously famously was the the first one to be killed as an actor, wasn't he, in the first Mm. Predator movie back in the 80s. And he's joined that, it must be quite a small club of uh, subsidiary cast members of franchises that have then gone on to direct. So I guess that means dinner at Jonathan Frake's house once a year. Oh yeah, with Willie Willie Shatner. Lee Lee yeah. <laughs> so uh I mean I think it's quite interesting to know that this is this is definitely a sort of collaborative effort between Shane Black and his and his mate Fred Decker. Mm. Because it almost felt more like a Fred Decker movie in many respects. So? so Fred Decker Fred Decker who made Night of the Creeps and The Monster Squad most mm-hmm. famously before disappearing after Robocop, Robocop 3. Three. So this is his first, first pro- produced kind of screenplay in like the two, years. Yeah, yeah. I mean the two of them apparently I've not seen it, but apparently collaborated on a TV thing a couple of years ago, like a pilot that didn't make it to series. And yeah, Shane Black it's not really very good. I mean, it's. I didn't think it was as kind of quite as terrible as, as some of the notices that have mm-hmm. been coming out. I mean, I thought it started quite strongly, and I do have some time. I mean, we're going to talk about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang mm-hmm. afterwards, and I do have a bit of time for Shane Black's kind of casually cruel, sadistic irreverency. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- whether it goes a little bit too far in places, whether this is, you know, just well, 
it's just not really funny enough, not really action-packed enough, uh, not really cruel enough. Or, I mean, everything just kind of feels a little bit neutered, a little bit falls a little bit flat. Mm-hmm. The basic setup of this one is that we've got the uh, pack of commanders, except this time they're straight out of the cuckoo's nest. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they call themselves, I think, the loonies in the film. Is that right? Yeah, they're on the loony bus. Yeah. Yeah. And Predator comes to suburbia mm-hmm. and uh, finds himself up against these these loonies and uh, a little... All, all, all ex-military. All so ex-military. Kind of PTSD yeah. afflicted. And a biology teacher who's along for the ride. Yeah. A sort of Snow Mom. White to their mm-hmm. seven dwarves. I mean, yeah... Shane Black really still, I think, struggles with with female characters. I think. He struggles with female characters. He struggles with mental health character details. Yeah, uh, there's also a, a, an autistic kid that's played by mm-hmm. Jacob Tremblay from Room, who is at one point posited as the next step on the evolutionary <laughs> chain, uh, which is sort of excuses. It's used to almost excuse the fact that it's it's um, just depiction of autism is is Rain Man basically. It's wantonly it? offensive, but <laughs> but no, I think with this film, like and, uh, dealing with its kind of being willfully offensive, my take on it, and I know this is probably not a good thing to say but it's like when the stupid kid says something stupid you're kind of like well it's what can you do i don't think this film ever is operating on a level where you you, you think that oh this is going to give me a serious uh, survey of of uh of of mental illness you know it's like he kind of uses it for the purposes of of a screenplay rather than of a psychological Mm -hmm. analysis i mean I, i have no problem with the sort of willful political incorrectness but just if it was a little bit funnier or was just kind of skewering something or just the, the gag rate in this movie for a for a sort of action sci-fi horror is ridiculously high. But the amount of them that actually land with any kind of wit or charm, even in their, you know, stupidity is, is mm-hmm. pretty low. I, th- I think I think I maybe like this a little bit more than you. you. I didn't hate I, I, it. But... I definitely agree that it was trash. And there was almost like this impulse that he was actually trying to make something trashy. That he was trying to make, like, he was trying to sort of almost suppress his own impulse to, like, make it seem too good or too funny or have too many kind of Mm. ironic zingers or too many references. There were lots of references to the the other films. But it was almost like there was this 80s video rental shop, nasty film on the top shelf that as a kid you'd be looking at the kids section but your eyes would be wandering over to the video art the, the really kind of gory video art mm-hmm. and, it's, and, I, and I almost saw this as a sort of film that I think I would have probably loved to have seen this as a kid it's kind of obvious deficiencies wouldn't have registered and you know I think I'd have just liked the idea of like a predator running around and it's almost like I don't know. Someone's told him you have to make this fifty percent crapper because it's because <laughs> it can't because <laughs> this can't be a kind of well written, thoughtful Shane Black movie. You know, or, you know, not sorry, not thoughtful is really the wrong word, but like you know, a film like The Nice Guys at, at least has a sort of like you know there there are sort of chess pieces moving around yeah. the board, mm-hmm. and there's, an, there's a feeling that he has an idea of what's happening. Whereas this, it kind of gets to a point where it's just like logic flies out the window and it's like the mm. people turning up to fights around you know who you're like how did that person get you know that creates the issue where does anyone go to Shane Black for action or schlock or horror or gore and that's something he's not really done as a filmmaker but he's, but he today, d- he's, he's shown a keen sense and a keen awareness mm-hmm. of, of genre in a general sense you know from the sort of massive excesses of last action hero mm-hmm. and you know writing the book on 
buddy comedy with mm. Lethal Weapon. And then the sort of deconstructions of Nice Guys and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And this, I just... I was, you know, going and expecting a Shane Black take on that action horror, you know, mm-hmm. that he's so indelibly twinned with because of his role in the first mm-hmm. film. It kind of flirted with all of all of these things and just didn't really feel like it was nailing much of them for me. I thought the action scenes were, were, were the, the sort of weak point of the film. And, and I know that's probably a big weak point for a film. <laughs> it's an action <laughs> the, movie. The, yeah. an action. the CGI yeah. gore as well. Just atrocious. It, it all felt quite cheap on that side of things. Mm. And especially like, because I mean, I've, I've seen that many times, but I, I took the opportunity to revisit the John McTin and mm-hmm. original. And there's a thing that he does, and it's just such a simple thing. It's almost like a kind of directorial motif. I don't know if you guys remember it, but it, the film is set in the jungle, and it's this it's this commando unit, and they're they're kind of standing off against the predator who is kind of picking them off one by one. And what he does is just he has this thing where he just when there's going to be a big reveal, he'll kind of run his camera along a vine or up or mm-hmm. he'll, or slowly up mm-hmm. a tree, and you're like waiting, and sometimes it'll make you wait like. 45 seconds to actually mm-hmm. see that what is at the, the top of the tree mm-hmm. or what is at the end of the vine and it's just these little things that actually build a sense of tension almost like you're sort of slowly opening your eyes to something and Shane Black just does not mm-hmm. I mean whether that is like someone he's had someone over his shoulder in the editing room saying no 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 we need this to be faster we need this to be quicker we need to be more more to be happening we need to get more actors on the screen we need to get more dialogue there's no sense of like let's just take a breath Let's just hold this moment. You know, the whole concept of the Predator is like you can't see it. So it's like you're in a room, there is something else there and you don't know it's there. Mm-hmm. And that concept is missing from this new I mean, this is the third Predator sequel. You know, in, with each instalment, I think every director that's had a go at it seems to still be struggling in a way that McTinnan wasn't with what the Predator actually is and what its MO is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Shane Black's answer seems to be in this one, let's make a bigger one and give him some dogs. Yeah. I thought that, like, yeah, if that's the extent of their... Kind yeah, of- I mean, there's quite a funny bit at the beginning that they do a couple of, you know, where this kind of trying to define what a predator is, and it's like, well, it's not actually a predator, it's a, you know, it's a it's more, more of yeah. a bass fisherman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is- One of the other things that I really missed, again, is I haven't seen the second sequel... The, the Nimrod, Nimrod oh, and Tal. Predators, I think that's such a, the hidden gem of the oh, okay. oh, God, Maybe I need no. to visit no, you're not a I watched that. it again. No. Oh, did not stand and up. I think, um, <laughs> I think it's it's just totally worth it for uh, Lawrence Fishburne's, Fishburne's just Looney Tunes performance <laughs> where he's just he's really going all out. But mm-hmm. I, so, so you can tell me then if it has this, because like, the first two, the Predators' trophies are like the skulls of his mm-hmm. kills. And in his little kind of Swiss Army amulet thing that he has, one of the sort of items in there is a sort of valet steam cleaning <laughs> setup. Where I think it's in the second one specifically that you see him like. Actually, I think in the first one as well, you see him pull out this little kind of steam cleaner and sort of basically like steam off the flesh from one of the skulls <laughs> and then and then buff it. So and so he's you know it's creating this lovely clean skulls for him to take back. I was hoping that there was going to be a, a, a buffed skull in the new yeah. one. And, you know, I don't know if this counts as a spoiler, but if, if you're going to the new Predator to <laughs> yeah, see some, some skull buffing. Little interest in the Predator's hygiene protocols yeah. in, this, in this one. I mean, it makes sense. If, you've, if you're taking skulls back to another planet, you're going to want to prepare them in a way exactly. that, you know, 
They're presentable. They're presentable, and they're not. Well, they're not going to cause a smell on the ship. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. maybe next time. Yes, <laughs> maybe the next sequel or spin-off or prequel or whatever will come next. I do think Travante Rhodes, mm-hmm. who I think I guess was la- last biggish role was in Moonlight, the yep. the, the eldest one the, in yes. Moonlight. Yeah, he's really great in this film, mm-hmm. and, I, and and like it, it was one of those sort of supporting roles where you're thinking. Why wasn't he the the main guy kind mm-hmm. of thing? Uh, Boyd Holbrook's quite good as a sort of, you know, flinty, single trait action hero. But, yeah. Thomas Jane has fallen fourth supporting. Quite deep in the ensemble, yeah. um, lumbered with a, a, a sort of Tourette's character mm. trait that doesn't never, never really pays doesn't off. Land, yeah. Keegan Michael Key as well is in there in, in, in the, the ensemble, and you'd expect him to maybe be yeah. a little bigger. Uh, but only, I'd say only Tarantino Rhodes comes out of it well. I thought the villainish yes. character, the Steve, cat, Stephen K. Sterling K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown, yeah. Was, uh, was Last scene of the Black Panther, I believe. Wasn't yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah, and Jacob Tremblay. He seems to play roles now where it like he's a, he's a very kind of small boy, mm. like physically small. One of the things that happens in his movies is like, let's get Jacob Tremblay to wear a big hat or a big helmet, because <laughs> he was in that film Wonder. Yes, where he had a kind of facial deformity and, and was yeah. and would walk around in a big space helmet, and mm-hmm. that was and our generation's mask, wasn't it? Indeed, <laughs> and and in this one, there's a shot of him in you know he happens across the predator mask <laughs> and yeah. there's a sort of isn't that f- juxtaposition hilarious it's little and Jacob Tremblay in the predator mask. well for, for Shane Black fans this is not set at Christmas this is set at Halloween but Shane Black's got a, a pretty I think does a pretty good irreverent line in from Iron Man 3 and the nice guys and then this in kind of sweary kids yes although this one didn't sw- he does at the end he has, oh. his mo- he has a moment oh. doesn't he oh, of course he Which gets should- his moment yeah, is this our moment to put scores on this film? I think Matt, do you want to go first? Uh, three, um, you know, new Predator movie, new Shane Black movie. Definitely mm. wanted to have a look. And twos, I mean twos. Yeah, I mean I didn't hate it. I was perfectly entertained, only occasionally annoyed. Mm-hmm. And if I stumbled across it at eleven o'clock on telly after the pub on Friday night, I'd probably watch 40 minutes of it again <laughs> David probably go a bit higher in enjoyment so 332 for me it's one of those films where I think I think it's saving grace is that it's maybe a little bit better than some other similar types of films by maybe directors who have got their kind of full level hack on mm-hmm. whereas I think at least with this one there is a little bit of extra value there there is a bit of sort of the Shane Black touch mm-hmm. that's visible so for me that feels a you know, the film works a little bit better for me, but not on the same scale as the original. Oh God, no! I mean, the the original's really good. Mm. I mean, it's like it's a you know, mm. McTiernan when he in his pomp was was quite something. And, um, and even Predator Two, where does this? Oh no, that Predator Two is really bad. <laughs> yeah. They just threw so much money at it, and yeah, it's it looks oh, it's awful. Yeah. It's Predator in the city, and it just, just yeah. doesn't work. Tanny Glover <laughs> looking really confused. <laughs> Well, so that was The Predator. Um, up next, we're sticking with Shane Black with his directorial debut for Film Club, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So Dexter had Veronica killed, threw a dress on her, dumped the body, and walked away clean, except for one little thing. Underpants. One tiny little pair of undies. Yeah. <laughs> you think that's funny, huh? I'm gonna break your nose now. Okay. Oh. I want you to picture a bullet inside your head. Can you do that for me? F*** you. Anyway, that's ambiguous. Ambiguous? No, I don't think so. No, I think he means that when you say picture it inside your head, okay, is that a bullet will be inside your head or picture it in your head? Like Harry, an image. He's got Look, a point. I don't know anything about a girl, seriously. I was bluffing. You know what? I think that you are bluffing right now. Harry, what are you doing? Well, what I'm doing for the guy who likes to bluff is I'm playing a little game called Am I Bluffing? Huh? Where is she? Where the f*** is Harmony? Harry. You want to play hardball? I can do that. Where is the girl? What did you just do? I just I put in one bullet, didn't I? I you put, put a live round in that gun? Oh, well, yeah. There was like an 8% chance. Eight percent. Wasn't it just 8? 8? Yeah. Who taught you math? That's Robert Downey Jr. there and Val Kilmer in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Downey Jr. is a crook who finds himself cast in a movie, sent out to Hollywood and paired up with Kilmer's private eye for some detective training that goes awry. Uh, this uh, came out 13 years ago now. It's, uh, mm. So much has changed since then for both Shane Black, uh, Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, in fact. David, what's it like revisiting this film now? Well, I've got to say, for me, it wasn't a revisit. I'd never actually seen it before. Last week was my, my sort of first viewing of it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because it's always kind of one of those films that is a lot of people like, mm-hmm. but it's never really held up or talked about that often. It's a film that made me feel very old. <laughs> um, in, in what sense? Uh, in, in, the, in the even though it was from two thousand and five, it felt like it was from another era. It just felt so kind of the world has moved on from this from this film. And and, mm. and maybe I'm sort of talking politically. It's very un PC in a, in, a, in quite a sort of loose and lively way. Mm-hmm. This is Downey Jr.'s. I believe it's his kind of comeback film mm-hmm. and maybe that's that idea that, that I feel old is because he is basically sort of formulating that sh- the stick that he has basically gone on to make billions of dollars with mm-hmm. with through Iron Man even with Shane Black yeah. in Iron Man 3 it just felt like that the whole kind of winking to the camera and it, it has so Danny Jr is the narrator of the film and he keeps constantly breaking the fourth wall and referring to the actual artifice of the film itself and the narrative and uh, it's very 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 kind of self-conscious backslapping mm-hmm. quite often very amusing film that just 
it just it just seems so weird. Like <laughs> I, I I was just like, wow, this this film is like so strange. I mean, there's not there's not really been anything like it since that's really sort of pushed things to that level. It almost feels like a kind of someone said to him, do what Charlie Kaufman has been doing with being uh-huh. John Malkovich an adaptation, mm. but in a way that's a bit more mass market that we can we can do something with, mm-hmm. you know. We don't care about Oscars for this one, we want like money. So yeah. <laughs> what struck me is how almost unrepentant it is. This is nine years after Shane Black's previous produced screenplay, which was Long Kiss Goodnight. And after that run of bloated films that mm. were box office bombs, Last Action Hero and so on, you'd think he would have maybe softened his approach in some way, but this one is such an overwritten screenplay. The idea of the narration, the idea of saying that was a bad scene, don't worry, it'll come back later on. It's such a self aware film. And now just seeing where he's gone as a filmmaker and you know seeing certain characteristics the fact that he's so interested in film noir and still interested in buddy relationships and so on uh, but it's so fascinating to see that right out of the gate he's saying this is me this is Shane Black uh, you can't mistake me for anyone else and that's it I think you know for all intents and purposes this should be smug and annoying and it is completely overwritten but I just think it really gets by on sort of force of personality, mm-hmm. both of Downey Jr. and Kilmer, kind of mm-hmm. front and center, but also Shane Black. I mean, he is throwing everything at the wall just to see what kind of sticks. And, you know, a lot of it does. It's just delivered with such kind of confidence and, I guess, wit. And, I mean, I think it does that thing as well that that Scream does really mm-hmm. well, in that if you're going to make a sort of meta larky genre deconstruction you really have to understand the nuts and bolts of the genre that you're deconstructing and you know what scream does brilliantly is take the piss out of a horror movie while also giving you a pretty solid horror movie at the same time and i think this for the most part does you know take apart all of the screen conventions and novelistic conventions of raymond chandler mm-hmm. you know pot boilers while giving you one at kind of at the same time that you know is reasonably successful but it's just got this barreling force of personality that carries you through the sort of nonsensical plot twists and there are some really, really funny moments. It is genuinely funny, but also genuinely quite un-PC at times. Uh, watching this again now, the gay Perry character that yeah. Bill Kilmer plays with a, with a sort of camp lisp all the way through is is a bit on the line. And then the use of, uh, later on, of sort of sexual domestic abuse as a plot point that's sort of just thrown in the mix. It's looking back now, as you say, a bit dated, David. Yeah, I mean, you know, it looks quite quaint now, I think. <laughs> I mean, like, Kilmer's obviously, like as well in, in his kind of character research developed what looks like a kind of his take on a gay walk which is a mm. sort of like <laughs> you know a, a sort of weird shuffle slightly kind of hip shaking shuffle and in and, and that kind of stuff it, it, you just sort of like you know you're, you're sort of face palming i think more uncomfortable is the fact that it's downey jr's character's subjectivity throughout the whole thing you know he's narrating and effectively the lead character and so you're with him in his kind of disgust and distaste of Yes. Val Kilmer's gayness, you know, making a joke of him kissing him and so on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it got a little uncomfortable. I guess, yeah. But then he's, maybe, an, idiot. Maybe but then have, he's an idiot at yeah, the same exactly. time, which kind you, of you, you have an obnoxious relate. you know, that actually sort of like makes it a less bitter pill in a way in that it is like a subjective viewpoint. And that, yeah. you know, if, if he is homophobic, then... And it is quite equal opportunities offensiveness. Yes. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> It's doubtful we'll ever see a film of its type again. And I mean, like now when a film comes out and it's sort of dunked into the crucible of social media and Mm. there is a sense of like 
does this film pass, not pass certain tests, but, you know, what kind of political talking points does this film have? I think, you know, if this film had come out now, I mean, it would have just been torn to shreds, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's um, the talk of the, its unpeasiness would sort of swamp the, the quality of the the screenplay and the, mm-hmm. and the sort of meta self-referential mm-hmm. element of it. Yeah, but I, I agree with you there. It's it's really good in in that idea of its of of the deconstruction mm-hmm. of the sort of knowing side of things. It's less good in the actual plot that it's trying to sort of offer you at face value. The sort of fun detective plot, mm. twisty detective plot, gets to a slight point of incoherence mm. where, like, may, maybe like two thirds in, I'd, I'd sort of lost the plot. Someone's father's killed someone who looks like someone who, you mm. know, and, and it, I was like, I. I'm just going to switch off now. And by the end, where you've got these kind of quite earnest kind of honour killings mm. to wrap things up, why are we here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, maybe that's me. I don't know. It's just those the kind of the little moments that make it for me. It's you know, it's not so much Robert Downey Jr. urinating on a corpse. It's him explaining it to Val Kilmer yes. in there <laughs> in the next scene, and mm-hmm. just trying to ex- yeah. Just, or, or even the clip, as we heard, with the sort of Russian of course, yeah. style. Uh, yeah, there are little moments throughout. And Michelle Monaghan, in, in quite in a relatively small and thankless role as the, the sort of damsel in distress yeah. at various points, she's fantastic. She is. She almost yeah. has an, an Emma Stone sort of energy to her, and you think, kind where could she have chart, gone from yeah. here? And now she's relegated to cameo appearances in Mission Impossible movies. That was one thing that I thought was really sad. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it, it was, it's all like the character she plays is a kind of aspiring actress mm-hmm. who doesn't really make it so mm-hmm. I mean you know it's, it almost seems sort of poetic justice in mm-hmm. that sense but yeah also no. Shannon Sossaman who was also a, a thing yeah. for like for a day yeah, and a night geez. wasn't she yeah, yeah. gosh and of course, uh, I must say, over, over the end credits, Robert Down Jr. does the end theme himself in the in the brief moment where he was a recording artist at the piano. Oh yeah, wow. yeah. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah. It's a terrible piece of adult contemporary. <laughs> 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 Luckily, yeah, that has been struck off the record. Oh. If there's a clip, it's fantastic. Um, and then it would be eight years until Iron Man three. Uh, Shane Black almost back in movie jail for a bit longer because this film wasn't so much of a success. But I can imagine that. I can imagine him kind of, you know dropping screenplays down on a desk and then and and people just thinking no too weird too weird mm-hmm. i mean like i think that the marvel movies had to get to a certain point before that they could do the kind of deconstruction mm-hmm. i mean like you know iron man 3 is the kind of you know the meta marvel movie yeah and, and very divisive because of that yeah, yes with but certain it, fans it'll be interesting to see you know circling back to predator how how that's going to play mm-hmm. you know and how it's going to do i mean i'm sure it'll make a ton of money on its opening weekend but i mean again is that just a little bit too weird of a predator movie is that what people are expecting mm-hmm. and yeah i'm curious to see how it plays well, we'll see how it plays. Maybe we can talk about it again in a future episode. David, what should we uh, watch or for next week? What's our homework? So we have The Little Stranger, Lenny Abramson's new movie uh, based on the Sailor Waters novel. We have Gaspar Noé, back at it, with Climax. And then Film Club next week is The Big Lebowski um, for its, gosh, is it 20th, 20th anniversary? anniversary? You talk about feeling old. Not on the rug, man. See? See what happens, Lebowski? You see what happens? Nobody calls me Lebowski. You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude, man. Your name's Lebowski, Lebowski. Your wife is Bunny. My 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 wife, Bunny? Do you see a wedding ring on my finger? Does this place look like I'm married? 
the toilet seat's up, man. Woo? Yeah. Isn't this guy supposed to be a millionaire? I'm trying to think if that was my first 18 or not at the cinema. It was either that or LA Confidential. Whichever one of those came out first. By that I include, that was like me going to buy the ticket mm -hmm. and not being ID'd and being let in and thinking... Bad boys. Yeah. Oh, wow. Kill Bill Volume 1. <laughs> so, yeah, dating ourselves there. Um, and so let us know everything about The Big Lebowski at the usual channels, at LWLies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com via email or on the uh, lwlies.com slash podcast comment section. Any other business, David? Yeah, just want to give a quick shout out to a screening we're hosting if you're in the London area uh, on Saturday the 22nd, uh, midday. We are screening Alfred Hitchcock's Dilem for Murder. Mm -hmm. Wait for it. In 3D. Whoa. It's a film that was originally filmed in 3D and it was right at the end of the kind of late 50s mm -hmm. 3D craze made as a contractual obligation by uh, by Hitchcock as well. What a contractual obligation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it ended up coming out mainly in 2D. A few, a few select screenings in 3D, I think, in the original run, but it's kind of been exhumed in its original form so we're going to wow. be able to enjoy that and that's we're doing that in conjunction with Mubi because they mm -hmm. have a new season currently of Hitchcock films oh terrific so it's some really nice sort of you know slightly more lesser known ones mm -hmm. worth, worth sort of that central know. set piece in 3D with the scissors is going to be, gonna be something on the big mm -hmm. screen I know that's at the Rio Cinema in Dalston and every, with every ticket we have created a really cool bespoke Dilemma for Murder print poster by a really talented uh, Spanish illustrator called Lola Beltran. So you can currently see that on our Instagram page if you want to have okay. a look at it. So Check it out. So that's Dialogue for Murder. And, and this has been Truth and Movies. Thank you, Matt Thrift, for joining me this week. Thanks and thank for you, me. David Jenkins. Thank you. I've been Michael Leader. And as always, this has been a Seven Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.